0: Would you take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 22? Kyle, would you mind bringing that over? Thank you. That would be great. Very good. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 40. We're going to pick up where we left off uh, last week in our series that's called When the Game is Over, It All Goes Back in the Box. And today we're talking about the uh, subject of keeping score where it really counts. I want to read this passage of Scripture for us, and then we're going to jump into the message this morning. Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself all the law and prophets hang on these two commandments let's pray father as we come to your word this morning would you use it in our life in a powerful way to change us to challenge and convict us to help us to deepen our relationship with you and grow in wisdom and knowledge but more than that to put into action what you have said and we ask that in jesus name amen Well, last week, if you were here, we talked about the parable of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12. And we saw a man who thought that the essence of life was measured by what you own, what you have, whether that's money or possessions, material things. And so he set his heart on that. And what did he think was the measure of life? Well, you could summarize it like this. He thought it was important to harvest large crops, build bigger barns. Uh, he wanted to have uh, financial security in his life so that he could eat, drink and be merry and take life easy for many years. And finally, remember not to die. But life rarely goes like we plan, does it? All of us know of individuals who died much sooner than they intended. Just this week, I was at a funeral for a good friend who died at the age of 64. Even though he had uh, been able to retire early, it was certainly not what he and his wife planned. You know, they had dreams of wanting to spend a good amount of time with their children and grandchildren. They worked hard all their lives to achieve sort of a, a stability where they could retire and enjoy those kind of good things. And God called them home. And he was a believer who lived his life well. He was not like the man in this parable at all but still his plans were changed it's a reminder to all of us that we need to be ready God could call us at any point we don't know when that might be when he may call us home and so we want to live in a way that's really going to count for eternity and what we saw in that parable last week is that God views life very differently than the world does and God has a different measuring stick, if you will. And the object of life, according to Jesus, is very simple. Be rich toward God. Be rich toward God. And if we are going to do that, well, that will lead to a very different way to keep score in our life. And those are the things that we're going to talk about today. What is it that matters most to God? Well, let's start. The first point that I see in this text is that the person who is rich toward God loves God above all else. The person who is rich toward God loves God above everything else. Jesus said this is the first and greatest commandment, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. It is why he created us. Remember last year when we had a sermon series called The Story and we went from Genesis to Revelation in a series of messages. And do you remember the big idea from that sermon series? The big idea was that God created us because He wants to be with us. He created us to have a relationship with us. It's why He made Adam and Eve and placed them in the Garden of Eden that He might be with them and enjoy that kind of fellowship. But man sinned, rebelled against God, and that fellowship with God was broken. And the whole story of the Bible is about what God will do to win us back to Himself. And it shows us how great His love is, the great lengths to which He would go in sending Jesus to be our Savior and Lord so that we might be restored to a relationship with Him. And that day is coming when he will create a new heaven and a new earth, and all who have placed their trust in Jesus as their Savior will spend eternity with him. God will be with us. He will be our God, and we will be his people forever. We were made to have a relationship with him. This week, my wife was reading a a comment that Tim Keller had made that I thought was rather interesting, too. He was talking about loneliness, And when he was talking about loneliness, which we experience at different points in our life, he said loneliness is not a sin. Loneliness is something we feel because we were made in the image of God with a need for relationships. We were made just like God. And we were made in that fashion where we need people, we need relationships with one another, and so it's why we long for that in terms of family and friends or marriage. We long for that kind of companionship. And the Bible tells us that our primary relationship is to be with God, that we are to love God above anyone or anything else, and when we do that, when we put Him first in our life, He blesses all of our other relationships, And so as Christians, we need to put first things first. I think about it like this. When I was young, I enjoyed playing baseball. And a funny thing happened. One of the first times I played baseball, uh, when it was back probably first grade, somewhere around there, maybe even kindergarten, I'm not sure. But I remember that we were playing baseball, and I hit the ball as hard as I could, and then I ran all the way to third base. The only problem was that I didn't touch first or second base. I just ran down the third base line to, to third base, kind of confused on which way you go around the bases. And I was out. I was out because I didn't follow the rules. And rule number one is, you know, you're not going to get safely home unless you touch first base first. And we will never get anywhere in the Christian life if we don't put God first in our hearts. He comes first, above everything else. And that starts with surrendering our life to Jesus. When Jesus called the disciples to follow him, they left everything. They left everything to be with this one in whom they recognized that there was something different about him. Here I am, Lord, and I give you my life, I give you my wealth, my marriage, my children, my work, I give you my leisure, I give you my time, I surrender it all to you. That's what God asks of each of us. And have you done that? And how do we know if we've done that? I mean, I think we we wrestle with that at times where we feel like we have and then maybe we want to pull something back or we kind of say to God, well, I'll give you these areas, but I'm not so sure about this area of my life. And we kind of want to keep certain doors closed. And God wants us to surrender all of it to him. How do we know if we have done that? One of my favorite verses is in John 14, verse 21, where Jesus says, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. You see, what Jesus is saying there is that the proof of our surrender to Him is our obedience. The real test of whether or not someone has come to make Jesus Lord of their life is shown in the way that they live. Do we see it in terms of our obedience to God's Word? In our worship, does that worship come from a heart that longs to be right with God and to know Him better? Do we study the Word and not just study it to gain information, but to see how God wants us to live, and then we walk in obedience to that? Do we put Him first in our giving? Do we give Him what He asks of us in terms of our tithes and our offerings or in terms of our time and commitment? Do we put Him first in our relationships so that God is honored in our home, in our marriage, in our work, in our friendships? The proof of our commitment to Christ is seen in our obedience. And I love what this verse says. That when we do that, God reveals himself to us more and more. In increasing measure, we experience his love in our life and we experience his presence. Jesus says, He who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love him and I will show myself to him. Do you want to know God better in increasing measure in your life then put into practice what he has said in his word and God will bless you and your relationship with him will continue to grow? The person who wants to be rich toward God has put God first in his life above everything else. And secondly, the person who is rich toward God loves people loves people this is the second greatest commandment if you will when jesus said a second is like it that we are to love our neighbor as ourself all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments if you wanted to sum up everything that the old testament was about it's about these two things love god and love people put him first in our life and treat others the way that you would want to be treated and what we see again in the scripture has how love is more than just a feeling Love shows itself in actions. John again writes, and this time it's in his first letter that he wrote. He said, this is how we know what love is. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Don't just say that you love someone, or don't just say that you understand this is important, but do it. Let it show in the way that you live. Love looks out for a neighbor. Love comes alongside those who are hurting. Love is what prompts us to bring a meal, to write a note, to offer to watch someone's kids when they have a need to get away, to stop by for a visit, to help with a project. Love comforts the hurting and it feeds the hungry. Love is what mourns with those who mourn and it rejoices with those who rejoice. Love is what prompts us to serve one another in the body of Christ. And what Jesus said is that love is to be the distinguishing mark of behavior among each of us. We see that in John thirteen thirty-five. He said, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In other words, that when the world looks at the church, they should see something different in the quality of our relationships. They should see something of that kind of concern for one another, a willingness to share, to help, to come alongside. Because when we think about what is eternal, people are one of those things that are going to last forever. You know, think about all the stuff that you have in your home. And if you were to go around and you were to put a post-it note on everything in your home that is temporary, you'd have post-it notes everywhere. You know, you'd have post-it notes on your appliances, your cupboards, your furniture. You'd have post-it notes on your cars or your other recreational vehicles you might have. And you'd have post-it notes everywhere that would say temporary, temporary, temporary. Because all of that stuff is going to burn. But if you think about what it is in your home or in our world that's going to last forever, there are three things. God, from everlasting to everlasting, He is the same. He is the Lord. His Word, He tells us that heaven and earth will pass away, but His Word will never pass away. And it's people. And Jesus said in John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, he said, Don't be surprised at this, but a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice, God's voice. And those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Every person's going to spend eternity somewhere. And it is those who have place their trust in Jesus and who have walked with him that will rise to live and spend eternity with him and it's those who have rejected his offer of salvation in Christ who will rise to be condemned but every person you meet is going to spend eternity somewhere And the greatest thing that we can do for another person then is to help them to know Christ. The most loving thing that we can do for someone is to share with them the good news of salvation in Christ and to take that step of faith or that risk even to open the conversation and to talk to someone about their relationship with God. Thirdly, the person who is rich toward God has adopted God's values as his own. Now there's a lot of things that could be put under that heading of adopting God's values, but that is a very true statement that the person who is rich toward God has adopted God's values as his own. He looks at life differently. He looks to the Word to see what's important. He begins to build his life then around those things that are going to last for eternity. And the one area I want us to think about this morning is this whole area of sacrificial service. Take a look, if you have your Bibles, at Matthew 20. And I'd like to read for us verses 20 to 28. Just turn back a couple pages. Matthew 20, verses 20 to 28, a familiar story. Matthew writes that then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, kneeling down, asked a favor of him. Zebedee's sons are James and John. It's interesting that Matthew tells the story from the point of view that it was the mother making the request. Mark tells the story that it was James and John themselves who came and asked Jesus this request. Jesus said, what is it that you want? And she said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to him. "said to them, Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? And that cup referred to the cup of his suffering. We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard about this, they were indignant. and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now what did this mother want Jesus to do for her? Well, she wanted Jesus to place her sons at his right and at his left in his kingdom, at the prominent positions, the positions of power and authority. I mean, if you think about that, I mean, how were the disciples measuring success? Well, they were measuring success by the world standards, that it's all about who you know, it's about what level you can rise to, it's about how much authority and power you have, and it's about getting ahead and climbing over others. And how did the ten disciples feel about that? They didn't like it very much, did they? They were indignant that these two men, who they thought were their friends, would have such an audacious request that they would ask to be placed above them. What's interesting to me in this passage, though, is that Jesus did not rebuke them for their ambition, but he redirected them. They're thinking about greatness. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, we need to learn to serve. How are the disciples measuring success? By the world's standards. The world measures success through things like comparisons, through competition, and through climbing above someone else. And we've seen that. We've seen that uh, whether it's in the business world, if somebody wants to rise to the top and they kind of try to take every advantage and make the right moves and the right decisions to climb the corporate ladder, thinking that that's the way to achieve success in this world. Politicians do it, promising all kinds of things to secure votes so that they can get elected. Uh, We see it among people that we know who have really devoted their life to accumulating success by the world standards. Sadly, it can also affect us in the church, though. We can do that, too. Pastors can do that when they make comparisons between churches, you know. How large is your congregation? Or how big is your building? Or what's your budget like? And we can compare those same kind of things. When Jesus isn't as concerned about budgets and buildings as he is about people. Are we making disciples, and are we becoming the kind of people that God wants us to be? You know, in a humorous way, we can turn just about anything into a competition, too. Uh, You saw the uh, great videos that Jason and Chris Hansen have been putting together for the Men's Advance. Well, until you've actually been to a men's advance, you haven't quite experienced the way competition even can affect the men of the church. And there are certain activities we engage in, like chubby bunny. Who can stuff the most marshmallows into their mouth and still say chubby bunny? You know, I mean, it's like, really? You know, this is a competition? It's funny, but really? (laughs) We do this. Or one of the classic games, the balloon stomp, where you tie a balloon to someone's ankle, and then everybody tries to stomp on the other guy's balloon so that they are out of the game, and you can be the last one standing. And it's amazing the lengths to which guys will go to try to crush somebody else's balloon. And you better watch out for your foot because that might get stomped along the way too. Well, I chuckled when I was reading John Ortberg's uh, book about this, and. He told about a very different outcome when a group of developmentally challenged students played the balloon stomp game. They were given the same directions that we are given about how the game is to go, and they're supposed to stomp on the other person's balloon. But that was the only idea that stuck in their mind that day. That somehow the game was about breaking the balloons, but instead of fighting each other off, they were to help one another to do it. One little boy who was trying to stomp a balloon was getting frustrated, and so a little girl knelt down, and she took the balloon that was tied to her leg, and she held it there, kind of like on a field goal, when the guy holds the ball so the field goal kicker can kick the ball. She held that balloon. And the little boy stomped on it and then big smile when the balloon broke. And then he knelt down and he did the same thing with his own balloon. He held it so that she could stomp a balloon. And then they went around the room like that until the very last balloon was popped and everybody cheered. Everybody won. What happened was they had actually devised a brilliant way to keep score in this game. In the new system, students didn't score points against each other, but with each other. And people who looked at each other as opponents in the old system became teammates in the new one. And people who looked like losers in the old system became winners in the new one. So, who got the game right and who got it wrong? Jesus said, You know how the world keeps score. Everybody wants to get ahead. Everybody wants to climb over the other person and lord it over others. But that's not how God keeps score. And so Jesus taught his disciples a very important lesson when he said, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. We are to be just like Jesus who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, then be a servant. You know, we see that example so clearly told in the life of Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul wrote this when he said that we are to follow Jesus' example. Go ahead, you can put that up. He said, our attitude is to be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, something to be clung to at all costs. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so Jesus was willing to lay aside his glory in heaven, the privileges that he had there, to become like us, to humble himself, to come to earth, to die even on a cross for our sins. And what did God do for him because of this willingness to be a servant? The Scripture says that therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus one day every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus humbled himself more than any man, and he will be raised up and exalted as Lord for all to see. And Paul says, we are to follow his example. Jesus surrendered everything for us. How can we not do the same for him? You know, every now and then in our world, we get an example of that kind of sacrificial service or an example of what it's going to be like in that future day. On the weekend following September 11, 2001, just 12 years ago when that fateful day took place in our nation's history. Peggy Noonan, who was a speechwriter, you may recognize that name, a columnist and speechwriter, she drove down to Lower Manhattan to witness what was taking place at Ground Zero as the cleanup was beginning. Everybody was still in shock by what had happened. People were focused on what was going on there at Ground Zero. And she found herself looking at the convoy of trucks that were filled with rescue workers that were leaving that scene. And they were coming off their 12-hour shifts, and the men that were in this convoy of trucks were the, you know, the building construction people. They were electrical workers. They were policemen and firemen. They were people that had volunteered to help, and they were working. They were doing the work of trying to rescue and to find people. It was a column of the not-so-rich-and-famous in New York City. And yet these were the celebrities in that day. And what they were doing was more significant than anything else that was taking place in the city. And Peggy Noonan said she joined the crowd of onlookers that were cheering these workers as they went by with shouts of, God bless you, and we love you, and they clapped their hands to applaud what these men and women were doing. And I looked around at all of us who were cheering, and I saw who we were. You know, the people on the sidewalks, those were the investment brokers. And they were the Broadway actors, and they were the writers and the journalists and the people who were supposedly the somebodies. They were the professionals in a city that highly values its professionals. But she said on that day, we were nobodies. And the people that really mattered were the people that were doing the work. This night, we were nobody. We were so useless. All we could do was applaud the somebodies, the workers who, unlike us, had not been applauded much in their lives. I was so moved and, oddly, I guess, grateful, because they'd always been the people who ran the place, who kept it going. they just never gotten their due. What she saw that day was really a picture foreshadowing what Jesus talked about. That the day is coming when the last will be first and the first will be last. And there'll be this great reversal because what God really honors and values is sacrificial service. If we're going to live in a way that counts for eternity, then we need to listen to Jesus. The way to be... The way to... uh, be rich toward God is to do these three things. It is to love God, that means total surrender of our heart to Him. It's to love people and to help them to know Jesus. And it's to be a servant, to follow Christ's example and live by His values. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the example of Jesus. We thank you for the lessons that were learned by the disciples who got it and who chose to follow in his steps and were willing to lay down their life for the church. And Father, I pray that you would build into us that same heart of sacrificial servant, a heart attitude that puts you first, a heart that loves the people who you've brought into our life and the relationships that we have, and a willingness to serve you and to follow you wherever you lead us. Lord, thank you that we can be part of a church where we can encourage one another in those kind of relationships. And we pray, Father, that you would bless us and continue to lead us. In Jesus' name, amen.